Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When I was a young boy, my father said to me, put this scarf around your neck and sing the blues with me. And now I am much older, there's a place I want to be. It's red faucet, it's beautiful, it's steeped in history. And I know what I'll find when the place comes alive. I got that battle fever coming over me. And I got butterflies and hurricanes shaking my body. Battle fever coming over me. And I'll follow on and sing the songs as Hi, Dave. Thanks very much for joining us on cool. the Battle Fever podcast. I, I, I know there is a slight delay sometimes whenever we're, we're doing the shows. Um, so if, if, you, if you see me stopping for a second, it's obviously just to give you an opportunity to talk. So obviously, we're, we're very, very grateful for you coming on and giving up the time. There's a couple of, as we're recording this, there's a couple of big matches on the corner. Um, uh, obviously, Scotland are playing Denmark tonight and Northern Ireland are playing Italy. So uh, that'll be a good one. And Mr. Stephen Davis is, what is he, cup? Cap number 140 or something now, or 135. He just keeps going. That's unbelievable, that. I mean, I thought I did well getting 27 caps for Scotland, but Aye. once you go over the ton, it's like a, it's like a kitty in itself. Yeah, yeah, well, he's, he's getting on. Now. And everyone, I read a report today, actually, where it said, um, he said everyone keeps trying to retire me, but he said, I don't want to stop. I'm not stopping. So, you know, you know, and the thing is, he keeps putting in performances. So, you know, fair play to him. Uh, you, you shouldn't realise when it's the time to stop, but if he feels good enough to play and he's fit enough, then just carry on. Aye. Well, Dave, again, like I said, thanks very much for joining us. Can I just give a quick wee shout-out to our, our two sponsors, G4 Claims and KGG uh, Laundry, as they're now called. So, um, Dave, obviously, again, we're, you're, you're, you're two spells at Rangers, two spells at Hearts, um, and obviously a fantastic career, and, and you've moved on to other things now. But obviously, if, if you would give us a wee quick idea of how it started because i believe you grew up in paisley uh, but you were uh you're a rangers fan is that right yep um well it's actually pollock um right. i was born in paisley uh which is just quite close to the right. border of glasgow pollock um so i was brought up there um brought up a rangers fan throughout my school days um primary school secondary my dad was a rangers fan my brothers were all rangers fans so i would go to the rangers matches every every probably every home game anyway, not mm. so much the away games, but the home games. And then when I was playing for my school team and my, my club team, a scout um, identified me. I was playing in the same team as a player called Billy Davis, who signed for Rangers mm. back in the 1980s. Mm. And the scout came along to one of the matches and identified me and asked me to go along to training. I was 14 at the time, and I ended up signing a schoolboy form. And then, luckily enough to turn... 
uh, professional when I was 16. Brilliant, brilliant. And how long was it then before, when, what did you ha what happened then? Did you go straight into the reserves? Were you playing reserve matches right away or was there even a reserve league back then or how uh, did that work? There was a reserve league and the reserve team was basically full of um, top ex or top Rangers players who were getting right. to that sort of stage a little bit older in, in their career and coming back from injury. So it was a very competitive reserve league. So mm -hmm. I, because I was young, 16, I get sort of farmed out to a team called Gart Course, where a player, probably recognise his name, Pat Nevin played. So I played yeah. alongside Pat Nevin for, um, it was about half a season. And then I get pulled back in to play for Rangers Reserves um, for about a season, a season and a half. Then uh, I managed to break into the first team pretty quickly after that. So it all, all happened pretty quick compared to what happens nowadays. You go through the academy <laughs> system for 10 years yeah, and then you get a game yeah. in the first team. It's almost like they just literally threw you in at the deep end then. Is that right? I did. I think it was just a, a matter of timing. Um, the, the team at the, the, the time was going through a sort of transition. There was a lot of top-class players coming towards the end of their career. Mm. And I was a young up-and-coming centre-back who just wanted to play for Rangers. So I seen a wee opportunity that I might get a bit of game time sooner rather than later. Mm. And I just worked hard, probably harder than anybody else in my obviously some sort of talent there but fitness as well uh, mm. and once I got my opportunity I, I never looked back. And speaking of which you got your opportunity as a as a 17 year old is that right you, you got your league debut when you were 17 and I, was it at centre-back as well? Yeah it was at centre-back um, yeah it's, it's a long time ago you're, you're testing the memory now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 40 years ago <laughs> so yeah it was great I mean just any opportunity to actually train with the first team never mind play with them was a was a fantastic you know it's like a dream come true for me mm. um, and something I just when it first happened I just knew that at that point that I wanted to continue I wasn't nervous I just wanted to just keep keep on doing and doing mm. well and try to get that opportunity in the first team and just keep that going and and do, did you find out sort of the night but was it one of those ones where you found out the night before or did you know for a wee while that you were going to be playing in that particular game it was league cup game wasn't it yeah it was more the 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 day before that uh, i was in about the first team training so i knew there was an mm. opportunity coming up and it was a cup tie and basically no disrespect to the team but one one team for the lower league yeah. so i knew there was a good chance i'll get an opportunity to take part um, if not start, uh, ended up starting the match, so it was fantastic. You know, great. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure it must have been great telling you, telling the, the family about that one, telling them that you're actually going to get a start for for Rangers, and it, it must have been fantastic, was it? Yeah, going back home and telling my dad who particularly was the, the the big Rangers fan, and my brothers obviously were at school, and um, everybody was delighted. All my friends as well, um, and I remember telling one person in particular that I was going to start for Rangers was a guy called Tommy Sheridan who you'll probably know yeah, yeah. a big Celtic fan and me and Tommy played through youth football together as right. like he was my twin centre back so I, I took particular delight in telling him that I was going to <laughs> for Rangers <laughs> brilliant brilliant and obviously you went on you went on to sort of to have a fantastic first spell at Rangers, although, like you say, the team was going through a period of transition. What What do you remember, obviously, just after your debut? Were you in and out of the team, or did you then cement your place? Or Obviously, it must have been difficult at only 17, and there's a lot of trust put in the centre-back at that age, but what yeah, sort of happened I, on that journey? I think they just sort of bludgeon into the team um, as the games go by. Uh, and as, as I said, there was a lot of opportunities to play because mm. there were players getting injured. There was players who were maybe not playing as, as good as what they could do. So there was always be opportunities for me to come in, uh, either be on the bench, then come off the bench and play, or to start. So over a matter of probably the next year, I managed to establish myself in the team. Um, but then John Gregg gets sacked, and then they brought in Jock Wallace. But mm. again, that, that sort of helped me even more um, as a young player. Jock's in a bit of talent in me, and um, but he... he Tended to play me out of position. He played me as a as an attacking midfielder. He was like, "You're, you're playing there today." I'm like, "I've never played there before in my life." But you're playing for Rangers, so you just go out and do it. 
Uh, well, do you know what? I, I, funny when I was when I was obviously reading a bit about you and researching this on. Obviously, I, I'd seen you play um, back before, and I'd watched videos and stuff like that there. But I don't think any videos exist of you playing as, as an attacking midfielder. So everything's at right back and centre back. But I haven't seen this uh, this uh, set flying sort of attacking midfielder. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I, I would love to see it as well. <laughs> <laughs> was that really me? <laughs> <laughs> but like you say, when you're given an opportunity, especially at such a young age, to make a debut and then go on and for the next season play play for Glasgow Rangers, the team you supported as a boy, the team your family support, you would literally run through bricks and play anywhere, you know, so... Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I remember my first couple of training sessions. I mean, I went, Paul looks not that far from Ibrox. Mm. I used to walk every, every morning to training and walk back home. Um, you know, the buses weren't as frequent as what they are now. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it, it was very grounding as well. You know, you're going from just leaving school, a housing scheme in Pollock, you know, not sort of a relatively poor background. And then you're walking into the, the red bricks of Ibrox. Mm. You know, it was a bit, it's just you had to pinch yourself at times and say, this is, yeah. is this really happening? And who were the who were the other players? Did any other players come through with you at that time, Dave? Who we'd we'd have heard of or known of? Um, yeah, well, one famous one was um, part of the team at the time, but more the youth team was Gordon Ramsay, mm. the famous chef. Um, yeah. and he was a, Gordon was a good player, but he just obviously didn't go the the, the full route. Billy Davis, who played yeah. uh, broken at the team, um, a, a lot of younger players, but nobody really managed to do what I did was have that like sustained spell in the first team mm-hmm. and there hasn't been there hasn't been anyone for a while uh, particularly in centre-back positions it's very seldom that you get such trust put in a centre-back especially at that age because I'm sure you would probably agree centre-backs tend to mature a lot uh, uh, sort of their, their mid to late 20s and, and sort of really establish the game and understand the game so it's very difficult obviously for centre-backs at that age to become yeah, established and I- I, and I was a completely different centre back from what was going about at the time. I was more of a ball playing centre back. You know, I sort of modelled myself on Dutch players, Rudy Kroll, and that's right, yeah. you know, and, and even Franz Beckenbauer. Not that I'm going to put myself at the same level as these guys, <laughs> but uh, certainly watching them, then that that was the style that I had at the time. Yeah. So the management put a lot of trust in me because the Colin Jackson, Tom Forsyth. Um, but sort of players that they weren't really ball playing centre backs. They mm. just did the what they had to do and get the ball out of the park. Whereas I was completely different. I was wanted to play football from the back and make passes and bring mm. forward and help the attacks. And that's why I ended up playing an attacking midfielder. Um, but yeah, the management had a lot of trust in me. But I remember making mistakes. I mean, you make a mistake. Mm. You know, as a young player at Ibrox, you just want the ground to swallow you up. I'm sure. You know, you've got fifty thousand fans there, and they're just being for blood if you make a mistake <laughs> cause your goal. That, you know that you shouldn't learn from that. That that yeah. experience in itself, and you think I'm not going to do that again. Funny, I'd read today, obviously a few interviews about you, and you said that you were and seen videos myself of obviously you and and being that different type of centre back, particularly Scottish centre backs at the time, because it was all head the ball and kick the ball as far up the pitch as possible. But you did like to bring it down and play. So obviously, speaking of which, in the way this current team sort of progressed over the last three years, um, do you think you would suit that more that more sort of European style? Yeah, definitely. I was definitely more of a European uh, style of player. I mean, even when I played for Rangers when I was 16, we went to a tournament in France, the Quad tournament, uh, and it was against teams like Spartak, Moscow, Feyenoord, Inter Milan, Ajax. And Ajax manager came up to the, the head of the coaching staff at the time um, at Rangers and says, we want the, the, your big centre-back because you can play football from the back. Mm. Um, but at that point, I'd already signed for Rangers, so that was a, a non-starter. But that, that just shows you the different styles of players and mm. how the, the sort of Europeans looked at um, defenders and attackers and midfielders, slightly different. And very much so, even in today's game, particularly the teams like the, like the Man Cities of the world and the previous Barcelona teams of the world as well, they interchanged quite a lot. And obviously, they, they had that sort of almost Dutch style where they where they do pass out from the back and play football. And it wasn't just necessarily kick and rush. And we always have a place for kick and rush sometimes that, that head the ball out and defend at all costs. But we also need that, that other side of the game as well. So do you think that's why particularly you were moved around positionally. I mean, I know you had a long spell at right back as well and you had you had periods playing there as well, so. Yeah, it was because of, for my height, I was technically very good. Um, 
skillful for a centre back, and again the height wise, it probably looked a bit awkward at times. But <laughs> I always worked at my my skill from a, mm. a, a very young age, so I could always pass with both feet, control the ball, and and make a good pass. But that was just me because I watched European players throughout my mm. younger years, and uh, you know there was no reason why a centre back had to just hoof the ball up the park and give it away. Yeah. You could be creative as well. Mm. And then, obviously, you, you mentioned there about John Gray giving you your debut and then Jock Wallace coming in. And then, obviously, you, uh, Sooners came in. So, did, did was there any talking to you there? Was there any communication? Was there any sort of chat? Was there, Or was it just head down and, and this is how it's going to go? I think at that time, you know, I've, my seven years at Rangers before I left my, my first spell, I had three managers, John Gregg, who was my hero, as a player, and then Jock Wallace, who was a hero as a manager, and then Graham Souness comes in. He was a hero because he played for Scotland and he played yeah. for Liverpool. That so they were all different types of managers. Jock was trying to be a, a bit more forward thinking, and who they played. And that's why I think he liked me as a centre back. Mm. But Jock came in, who was just completely old school. Um, he loved me because he loved my attitude. I don't think he really wanted me to play as much football, and I, I think mm. that's why he put me is more an attacking midfielder rather than a centre-back. But he was just blood and guts, Jock. But he was absolutely brilliant, you know, sort of man's man. Yeah. Uh, and if you worked hard for him, then you, you just, he was fully behind you. And then you get Graeme Souness coming in, who was just, you know, he certainly was from Edinburgh, so he was slightly more snobby than me. <laughs> um, but he had a sort of more cultural outlook to football as well because he'd played yeah. in Italy um, and played and won the European Cup with Liverpool. Mm. So he wanted to completely change things about. Um, and he did, he did that pretty successfully. And did you know at that stage, or were you told at that stage, or was it was it a bit of a shock when, when obviously, the, the bid from Hearts had come in? Or was there no, was there no uh, communication? Was it just there's a bid from Hearts and off you went? Yeah, it, it was a shock. I, I mean, I played basically the whole season, um, either at centre-back or right-back, and I think I scored something like 10 goals that season. Mm. Um, so and it was successful because we won the league um, and I was on holiday with Chris Woods and Terry Butcher and I come back after a week's holiday and basically I got a phone call as I came off the plane and arrived back in my flat and it was from Graham and he just said you know I've had an offer from Hearts um, I'm like okay and he said I've accepted it <laughs> so I, I didn't really get a say but I, I was still under contract at Rangers, so it was slightly mm. different. You know, I could have said, no, I'm going to stay at Rangers, fight for my place. But then I had to think about, well, if Graham doesn't want me here, he's going to get money to bring players in. I'd, I'm not the sort of player that wants to sit about in the sidelines. Mm. You know, I'd rather go and play somewhere where somebody wants you. And that's ended up just making the decision pretty quickly. It, it was a heart-wrenching, but, you know, in I'm life, sure. sometimes you have to make pretty tough decisions pretty quickly. Mm. And obviously you went, you then went to Hearts. What did you did, did you notice any difference in terms of the, the standard of football or the players or was I know I've read again some things about you. You said it was a different environment, but it was a much more sort of community feel, a more family sort of approach to it. Yeah, I, I think you know, no disrespect to Hearts, but they're a smaller club than Rangers. Mm. But they had a fantastic support. The stadium was always a, a fantastic place to play mm. before I joined them. It always had a great atmosphere. And, you know, the, the two sort of managers, the manager and the assistant manager were ex-Rangers players, Ali McDonald and yeah. Sandy Jarden. So I'd actually played with them in my early days as a youth player and um, reserve player. So I knew them really well and I knew the sort of style that they wanted to play. They had, the, they had a Rangers upbringing, so they mm -hmm. had that sort of want-to-win mentality. So it was, a, it was an easy transition in that sense. But obviously they're not as big as Rangers. Uh, they don't have the, the similar facilities mm. uh, and obviously the funding. But what they did have, they had a sort of fitness eth ethic that was better than any other team in the league. Mm. So you know, if you couldn't beat a team through skill, you would beat them through fitness. You know, and that, that that's why we ended up doing probably slightly better than what we we should have done. And am I right in saying, Dave, that you actually, while you were at Hearts, you were then selected for Scotland and made your debut for Scotland? Yeah. Yep. Um, so 26 of my 27 caps were when I played for Hearts. I only mm. had one cap when I played for Rangers. This is, <laughs> you know, bizarre. But yeah, yeah. I think there's more more politics involved back then. Aye, aye. And do you remember your Scotland debut? How did that feel? How did how did you feel getting that call up and that 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 sort of international recognition? 
Uh, it was great. Uh, I just, you know, I'd played youth, uh, international youth football before. Yeah, yeah. I played in the 1983 World Youth Cup in Mexico. So I'd been around the sort of the setup, but not the sort of full cap area. I played B internationals, two B internationals as well. So I was pretty much prepared to, you know, break into the, mm. the actual the top side, the A team as they called it then. So, but it was still a major, major honour, you know, to represent your team or your country um, at any for any country, mm. you know, is a major, major honour, you know, and something you don't forget. And you, yeah. then you just want to go on and continue to do more and more and achieve more and more for your country. And obviously you played at the, the World Cup as well. How did that, how was that? How was that experience? That was unbelievable. Um, you know, playing in Italy, playing all the matches, you know, against even, although we lost against Costa Rica, but beating Sweden in Genoa mm. and then playing against Brazil and Chile. Yeah. Um, you know, fantastic. I mean, that, that's the pinnacle of your career. That's uh, every player wants to play against a Brazil or a Germany yeah, or a Holland. Yeah. You know, Italy, and once that happens, it just it just puts you in a sort of different level. How you think about football and how how you want to go on. Mm. And twenty seven caps, I believe. Do, do, do you yep. feel you could have got more, or do you do you think you should have got more? Yeah, I, I think um, I was probably a victim of my own success at times because. You know, when I went back to Rangers in 92, mm. before that, the five years at Hearts, I played a lot of football. You know, I, I hardly missed a game. And we're, but Hearts were qualifying for Europe and there was like 44 league games. And I was playing a lot of football. And then yeah. the qualifiers came. Uh, so there's qualifiers as well. Then in 1990, straight to the World Cup, played all the games there, came back with very little break in between. And then two years later, I was... All the qualifying matches I played, then I played in Sweden '92. Then went back to Rangers, and then hopefully not jumping the, the gun with your questions. No, you're right. Don't worry, you were um, Back to Rangers '92 and ten games unbeaten in the Champions League and winning the treble. So I went about seven years with hardly a break. So mm. there was like wee niggling injuries starting to yeah. pick up, and it was never the best to say. Right, I've got a wee injury here. I don't want to play. I was more like, I've got a wee injury here. I want to play, Aye. and you don't do yourself any favors, you know, <laughs> in the long term. But when you when you get a chance to play for your country or play for Rangers, you just want to play, you know. Yeah. And that that's slightly naive back then, but um, I can look back on it now and just see I was proud to do that. Right, and then obviously, like you mentioned there, the the opportunity came back. To, to, to play for Rangers again and, and to come back to come back home essentially how, how did that call come about do you remember anything about that yeah I've, I've been away at an international game I think we played Norway uh, in Oslo and I got a tap on the shoulder and it was uh, Walter Smith <laughs> and he said it was always like spies two spies together come over here mm. I want to chat with you so he said you know I've had rumours before but you know what he, want, he wanted to bring it back to Rangers um and build the team um, as me part of it with all the players that were already there. Mm. Mark Haley, Coyste, um, to name a few. And it was, my contract was up at heart, so it was pre-Bosman. So I, no, it's not that I would have made a different decision, but I didn't have a choice anyway. If, if yeah. Rangers were going to pay money for me, then I would have to go there because... You know, Hearts accepted the deal. Mm. Um, but I was delighted to go back. And then we had one of the most successful seasons that Rangers have ever had. Yeah. And obviously, like you, you mentioned, some fantastic names there. But again, you seem to be played in and around the centre-back and then occasionally moved the right-back in that position as well. Which, again, shows the versatility and it shows how, how technically you must have been good as a player as well. Yeah, well, I remember it was the first European match that I mean, Walter wanted to bring me back as a centre-back. And that was obviously one of the main reasons being back, apart from mm. the fact it was Rangers, because I wanted to play in my natural position. Um, but then Gary Stevens got injured. He, he hurt his ankle, and it was a long-term injury. And before the European match, Waller just called me into the office and said, look, I, I'm going to have to play you right back. I know you, that's not your favourite position, but I went, Waller, I'll play there. It's been playing for Rangers. I'll just do the best I can. And that was it. Mm. You know, that's what you did. You, you didn't complain about it. You just did it. And I think as well, obviously, that you became you became established. You were already a Scotland international at that time with quite a few caps. 
you played in World Cups and you were coming back to Rangers and essentially you were coming back to play in that centre back position. But again, I think it shows was that was that the respect you had for Walter and playing and you wanted to play for Rangers or did that have a decision or a factor in it? Because a lot of a lot of the times nowadays, Dave, you would you would notice a lot of players throwing the toys out of the pram a wee bit being asked to play out of position. But obviously, you you, you know you you took to it really really well and obviously established yourself in that position. Yeah, yeah I think that's because you know I was a Rangers fan. You know, and mm. the, the players I get brought up with, the ones I watched, the ones I played with, you know, I, I did see some players throw the, the toys, the means at the pram, the toys at the pram, and that wasn't me. You know, mm. I, I'm there to play for Rangers, and if it means playing out of position, then I'm going to do it out of respect for the club and the manager. And obviously, just touching on 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 the impact of Walter Smith, what what sort of man was he, and and dealing with him on a day to day basis? I know he's touched the the lives of many Rangers fans, yeah. and obviously the, the tributes paid to him over the last sort of the last week or two has been phenomenal. But what, what sort of impact did he have as a, as a, as a man who you work with on a daily basis? Well, he, he had a big impact even before he was at Rangers because he was an assistant manager at Andy Roxburgh. I think it was mm. under 21s, so he was part of the international setup. But he was very quietly spoken. He was never a manager that I mean, he, he just had to give you a look, and you knew that he was not happy with you. But he mm. was never one for shouting and throwing things about the, the dressing room. He would get angry, but um, he, every every player that played under him respected him immensely and hugely. Um, you know, I, there's not a better manager going about in my, my book. Mm. Excellent. So, Dave, if you don't mind, we, we we put out a couple of a couple of questions to the, the guys on Twitter today, and we've got we've got quite a few, but I won't go through them all. Unfortunately, we don't have you for that long. And like I said, there's a big match on tonight. But uh, let's see here. We've got one from a good friend of our show, uh, Andrew Bluebells. He wants to say, "Can you ask Big Slim if he wound up Ali McCoist after he scored four against Valletta uh, when they beat the Melton away from home and was Super Ali raging?" Cheers. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think Super Ali was raging. Um, but you'd have been happy for me the fact I scored four goals. Yeah. Um, he, he always tended to get the limelight, Ali, for scoring the goals. So it was nice <laughs> to get one over on him. Um, but that was a, that was a unique, unique um, experience scoring four goals yeah. as a sort of defender in my European debut for Rangers. That was that was unbelievable. And I never even got to keep the match ball. That was the same really? part. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'd, I'd, be selling, I'd be selling that for fortunes now. I was going to say, I was going to say, the memorabilia market these days is huge. So I, that, would, that would make you a pretty penny or two. Um, we have also got a question here from Kenny Sturgeon. Kenny wants to say, um, underrated player was Big Davy. What was his highlight of the 92-93 Champions League run? What do you remember about that? My God, I think uh, well, the, the Battle of Britain, um, mm. beating Leeds home Brilliant. and away. Was unbelievable because we were just everybody had written us off. Uh, Leeds had a fantastic team: Cantona, Strachan, McAllister, to name a few. So we were well and truly written off. But and then Gary McAllister sticks one in the top corner after right. ten seconds at Ibrook. So, but we battled back unbelievably on the night and uh, to beat them two one. And then going down to Leeds with technically no Rangers support mm. were allowed down there to to, to watch us. But I, th- I think a few sneaked in, Aye. and we managed to beat them down there two one as well. So four two in aggregate was that set us up really well for the, the sort of group stage, and it g- gave mm. us every bit of confidence that we're going to do really well in in, in the, the sort of tournament in general. Yeah, and obviously we all know what happened and and, and the sort of stuff that came out with that with Marseille. But did, did did you know at that time, Dave, that you were just that good? Did you get a sense that? The, the sort of the feel amongst the team, the way you were playing, the style of football you were playing, the never say die attitude. Did you have a sense then that you know we we can possibly achieve something really special here? Yeah, I think uh, you know going away and traveling in Europe and coming back and winning league matches, there was a sort of build up that every sport, every confidence, every every sort of team needs needs victories to build that level of confidence and our performances if you're an individual athlete, and that just happened pretty quickly. At the beginning of the season, and then you get into the Battle of Britain, everything was just sort of on a roller coaster of success and mm. confidence was just flowing. So every game we played, we thought we were going to win it. Even if we went a goal down or two goals down, we were very confident we'd come back and win the match. 
quite a quite a few similarities the last season's team that they went on beating in the league and that 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 feeling that they just kept going and kept going and they and they, they eventually got the goals or got the wins to get them over the line I, I see a lot of parallels between those teams and that 92 93 team and obviously obviously this team uh, absolutely and you, you need a bit of luck along the way i mean there's mm. times last season and times in 92 93 that you get the luck at the right time and then you think well you know, we, we, we didn't really deserve to win that match, but we did. So yeah. let's think positively and take it to the next match. And uh, that, that's what happens in any sport and any any team. I was always told you create your own luck. Hard work <laughs> creates your own luck. So Absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Agree with that. We've got another one here from Stephen, uh, Dear Park Loyal. He wants to say, Davey, what was your recollection of the game? Uh, and Valletta and the, the multi of the four goals you scored. Were you, were you playing right back in that position, Davey, or were you playing, playing centre-back? I think I was more a centre back, um, maybe three at the back, but I was more sort of defensive in the front. I think that it was two corners and the ball just fell to me. And um, I used to watch Derek Johnston as a young mm. boy finish. You know, when it was the first training, I used to watch Derek Johnston um, finish in the box, and he was a brilliant finisher, header, left foot, right foot. So I would, I would just work on that and think that's a technique that I need to improve on. Because mm. I never, I never scored a lot of goals when I was younger playing youth football but when I yeah. became a professional player I, I've got a record that's probably one goal in every 10 games that's right which yeah. is it, it's pretty good um, so yeah in that match the ball just seemed to fall to me but then I had a, a chip to goalkeeper from 35 yards with a left foot Brilliant. Brilliant. so <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see video footage of it I know I'm sure is, is, that, is that me <laughs> <laughs> well I, there, there was a question in there I wasn't going to ask you but it was it said um, were you modelling your hair on, on Bram May from Queen back then <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm, I don't think I modelled my, my hair on anything I think it just flowed it and did its own thing um, I, I remember one match against St Mirren it was that long that Jock Wallace told me to cut it at half time. I said, he, he said that was a disgrace. Cut your hair. So I had to borrow the physio scissors and cut it so I could see. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, like you said, you'd had a, you'd had a fairly successful goal ratio um, during your professional career, but you didn't you didn't actually get any goals for Scotland. Was that sort of a, a small regret? Uh, absolutely. I had quite a few chances, uh, and I think the Euro was ninety two. I probably had the most chances uh, mm. against Germany. I had two. Like attempts at the back post, they were they were half chances. If it was Coyce, they Coyce they would have scored them, no doubt. But me, they were half chances, and I was sort of just a bit late getting to the ball, so I, I connected without connecting um, good enough. But uh, I had a good couple of chances there that I should have mm. I should have scored. And then, Davey, going back, then you 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 obviously you there was this, there was an opportunity then, or, or was it given to you as an opportunity, or were you just told that we've accepted another bid from Hearts here, and it looks like you're going back up the road? Um, yeah, it was a bit different. You know, um, Rangers were looking to buy Alan McLaren, yeah, and the manager at Hearts says, "Well, if you, if you take Alan Alan McLaren, we want Dave McPherson back." So it was like a cash swap deal mm. um, and at that point you know I'd achieved a lot of Rangers and again you know you, you get the feeling that if somebody wants to sell you or move yeah. you on then maybe it's the time to do that so I was never one for hanging about uh, mm. and then went back to Hearts and had a relatively successful time there. I was going to say you played a lot of games and you had more success then going back to Hearts did, did it almost fail again similar to when you were going back to Rangers did it fail feel quite natural then to go back to Hearts and take on that role? It did, not initially, because it was com completely different, because obviously you're, you're coming off a team that you've won the treble, you're in the Champions mm -hmm. League, and Hearts weren't really in that position, but um, I thought, you know, my memories of Hearts were good, so I, I, I always thought that I could rekindle that and try and make them successful. And Dewey, obviously you, you, you're coming towards the end of the, the period of Hearts, where, where, what happened towards there then, what, where were we going from there? Well, won the Scottish Cup in uh, 1998, we beat the Rangers, um, and it was right. Parkhead, which was, you know... Strange. Strange, <laughs> <laughs> um, So that, that was a fantastic experience, because I played for Hearts for 10 years and never won anything, mm. and I had a, a lot of success at Rangers, so it was, it was great to repay the Hearts fans, because they had been tremendous throughout my 10 years there, with a bit of silverware. Um, unfortunately, it was against Rangers, but... Um, I don't think my, the Rangers players would have been disappointed to see me have a little bit of mm. success at Hearts. 
and by the following season, again, I'm getting to that stage in your career, I played a lot of football and my contract was up and it was Bosman time and then, so I could make a decision where I wanted free. to go. Yeah. So I had an opportunity to go to Austria and play there. And then Stuart Monroe, who was managing a team yeah. um, in Australia, asked me to go to Melbourne and play over there for a few seasons. So I, I, I did that, I moved to Australia and uh, I loved it. I loved every minute over, over there. I spent some time in Australia myself, and it's a, a fantastic country. It's um, yeah, just everything about it. You're 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 going there, and, and I know you you sort of had that itching in your early career, maybe to try different styles of football and to try different countries and things like that there. But obviously, the opportunity we got later to go and play in a bit of sunshine. Um, yeah, you know, there's no real language barrier. Did you enjoy that period? Was it was it? Yeah, was it, something it, it was a, it was a lot more laid back. It, it was mm-hmm. less pressure. Um, I mean, you still had to perform. I mean, I wasn't going out there for a holiday. Mm. I was going out there with a reputation as a, a top pro uh, and successful pro yeah. international player. So there was a lot of players that were at the team that were looking up to me, younger players. Mm. So I, t- I took it seriously. Having said that, you're playing in uh, the, the Australian summer. You know, you didn't have to oh, run about as much. Degree, it was a lot easier. <laughs> it was a lot, yeah, it was a lot easier on the muscles. I've got to say, yeah. um, and I, I, I loved it. You know, I, I played with some good players. Um, Archie Thompson, who got his Aussie debut not long after I, I went over, and I think he he's got a world record. He scored thirteen goals in his um, debut for Australia. Oof. So there was a lot of talented players out there, and I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. And then you spent two seasons, two years out there, am I just, right? Just under, just under two seasons. Right. They, they, they were, a bit like America, they're, they're franchises, so they're mm, not actual clubs. Right. So if somebody stops putting the money in, then yeah. the club just got fold, basically. Mm. And did, you, you then came back and played for Greenock for a season. Was that under the, the player, sort of coach, player, manager role, or how did yeah. that come about? Well, Morton, were, they went into sort of liquidation, so I got asked to go along and be assistant my player manager, um, mm. assistant coach player, and we had to bring a whole team in, and which was difficult because they didn't have any players at all. But we had a sort of okay first season, and then the manager left, and I got asked to be sort of player manager, mm. and I thought you get the opportunity to do that, you don't say no. So I, I took that opportunity, and um, I didn't realise the politics that, that are involved in the sort of management and. Uh, playing side are completely, completely different. So mm. I take my hat off to uh, all the managers who have to put over the, the sort of bullshit you get from the boardroom. I was going to say, I was going to say, and there hasn't been. It, it's something that hasn't been that hasn't really happened since the, the since the nineties. When when you get a, a player manager role, it doesn't really it doesn't really come around anymore. The last ones I remember were obviously Sunis and I think the Ali at Chelsea. He tried it for a season or two at Chelsea, but I don't really. I can't even remember the last. So I don't, reasonably I don't famous think, player manager. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it works. There's just too much you're taking on. Yeah, you know, you're taking on the playing side that you you have to perform, and then you have to pick players who you have to play alongside with. Mm. You know, so it's a it's a difficult difficult job. And on reflection, I would have just I'd been better saying no to being a manager. Yeah, and just been player coach for another few few seasons. And then uh, just a just a, a few other wee questions around about the sort of the players you played with and played against. So something we like to ask people: who was the, who was the, the sort of best player? If you could pick one, who was the best player you played with? Um, uh, if I could pick a Scottish player and a European player, if that's okay, I, I would yeah. go with best player, technical player, would be David Cooper. Mm. Was right. a fantastic player, you know. He, he vision, um, so creative, left foot. Um, didn't have a right foot, but he didn't need one mm. because he had such a good left foot. And you know, he would find a pass. You know, if there were ten players around about him, he would get out of trouble right. quite easily. And then Brian Loudrop, um, playing with him at Rangers, he was technically, you know, unbelievable. Right, left foot, good near. He could run, and great vision. Mm. Strong as well, wasn't he? Loudrop was what six one. He was a big guy. Yeah, like, he was a big big guy. Yeah, he was more like a modern day footballer. Mm. Uh, definitely. Davy was brilliant. I remember watching. Um, I think it was, a, believe it or not, a school cup final or a school cup. Yeah, uh, yeah it would have been. And he, he would, I think it was against Aberdeen. I'm not 100 percent sure. I watched. It. I was very young myself, but he was phenomenal. And I remember you were saying about the players that Rudy Kroll that you would love to. That you modelled your game on. I mean, for me, 
and I wasn't very skillful as a player myself, but Davy Cooper was always mine. And then Coisty as well. Obviously, Coisty's is everyone, but for me, it was always Davy Cooper. I just I just loved the way he played and he had that swagger and style. And um one of the one of the biggest compliments, I think it was Ruth Hullet said, you know, he, Davy Cooper, he was he was he was a kind of something. He was special. He was definitely special. Yeah, well, we played against Feyenoord uh, in a, a friendly match. I might have been a, so we um, during the season cup competition, uh, Ibrox and um, Rude Hullet played. Um, mm. And then there was another match we played against Ajax. Um, we beat them 4-1 four, four, or 4-2. Four, and I managed to score against Ajax. So that was a, that was that was great. But yeah, yeah, David Cooper could have played anywhere in the world, you know, at the top, top level quite easily. And you, what about yourself, Dave? Did you ever have any opportunities to go abroad, even even later in your career? I know you said, obviously, when you were much younger, you had that opportunity to go. There was interest there, but was yeah. there ever any interest from any other teams? Yeah, there was interest. Um, Seville, when Jock Wallace became manager of Seville, he tried yeah. to sign me. But again, it was pre-Bosman, so mm. he had absolutely no say in it. Um, Borussia Dortmund tried to sign me. A couple of clubs down south, um, Spurs, Southampton. Um, again, it was all pre, uh, pre-Bosman. So, mm. although I would have definitely looked at going, um, just to, you know, ex- expand my knowledge of football, it, just, yeah. it, it never happened. And obviously, we've talked about some of the best players you played with. Third, Dave, what, what about played against? Is there anybody in particular you remember playing against, just thinking? Well, they, yes, they were all difficult. <laughs> <laughs> particularly for a centre-back, I'm sure you came up against some absolute uh, crackers back then. Well, I mean... If you think about the the Dutch team in '92, they had Klinsman, um, mm. Van Basten, Hulet, Rijkaard, uh, Bergkamp, to name a few. Um, German team had Klinsman, um, Karl Heinz Riedler. Um, you know, there was just there was unbelievable. The players you were coming up against were like real household, world yeah. class players, names, mm. and you know, so it was. Tons of them, tons of them. Uh, LA European games for Rangers, um, Inter Milan, Liam Brady played, Karl Heinz Rummenigge, um, you know, lots, lots, too many to mention, oh, actually. I was going to say there, if you had to pick one, if you were to try and pick one, though, we'd just, you know, know. We had, it's too difficult, isn't it? Especially with some of those names, they're phenomenal names, and, and probably the biggest names in world football. I know, it, I know the terms legend gets branded about quite a lot these days, and, and, and sort of, quite a fanciful way but I mean those those are some proper proper European legends of world football yeah absolutely and uh, old gentlemen as well you mm. find that you know that everybody's got a, a great deal of respect for each other you come off the pitch shake hands and you know and players will tell you more so in Europe they'll tell you 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 did well you're a good player Aye. you know whereas in Scotland it's like you're shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, Dave, obviously, you, you know, I think it was a testament here, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not buttering you up too much when I say this. You were actually inducted into, into the Hall of Fame of, of Rangers and of Hearts. I, don't, I, I physically, I, I read everything today. I cannot remember a, a player being inducted into two Hall of Fame. So you've obviously had a tremendous impact at, at both, at both teams. How did that feel? What, what was that? What was that like? A tremendous honour. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it's hard to put words to it um it's a sort of reflection on you know you get players maybe get put in the, the hall of fame after a season because they're, they're mm-hmm. world-class players but i think i think i earned it because of the time i spent and the effort i put in and you know i was a player that you know no matter who i played for i would give them all mm-hmm. um and being a rangers fan you know and getting into the hall of fame you know was just a dream come through again. Another take the box moment that mm. it's. I'm, I'm actually looking over there. And I can see my hall of fame hall of fame trophy. So Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> it's there. It takes pride of place. And obviously the the, the impact you had at Hearts and, and obviously the the cup win and you got inducted into the Hall of Fame as well for that again. It shows that it shows the the, the character you had and 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 obviously the the feeling that the Hearts fans had for you as well. Yeah, the, the Hearts fans were great. You know, as I said. Um, right from day one, when you join a club, you have to earn everybody's respect. You have to play well, and perform well, and give it your all. And I, mm-hmm. I, I did that from day one. And you know, I've got great memories of my time at Hearts and winning the cup in '98. Uh, and fortunately, when you play for Hearts, you get to do the 
the open bus tour around that's the city, right, which right. you never do at Rangers. Yeah, so yeah. that was a particularly fantastic experience. I think there's over 100,000 Hearts fans yeah. lying in the city. So you can imagine what that would have been like. I remember the old uh, the old English FA Cup games, and you'd watch those, and then a yeah. few days later they do the open bus tours, and all you know, you were always saying, you know, imagine as a Rangers fan that having that opportunity and, and things like that, there it would have been brilliant. But um, Dave, obviously, I won't I won't keep you too long, but just just very quickly, we've been talking before we started here about, about a wee bit about what you're doing now, and and would you mind telling the guys just a wee bit about just a very quick synopsis of what your role is now and the type of things you do. Yeah, I'm the director of my uh, a company called Global Sports Recruitment. We recruit student athletes for um, international scholarships to the USA. So we work with two and a half thousand colleges and universities in the USA, basically recruiting um, student athletes on sports like mm. soccer, golf, tennis, um, rugby, um, field hockey, um, any any sports that do scholarships, and we, we do that all over the world from Australia to Europe, to the Middle East, to Ireland and um, the UK. Fantastic. How did how did that actually come about? Because it's not a typical route. If, uh, and again, obviously, we, we, we know you as a, as a football player, but and obviously, you know, a, a ball playing footballer. But obviously, the, how did that opportunity come about? What? Um, I, I was always interested, as I spoke earlier about the education, yeah. I was always mm. interested in the, the aspect of, you know, there's that many young players now who get into sport. And they've got a dream, and they're sold a dream. Of you're going to be the next professional player. Mm. Now, I was I was lucky that I left school at 16 with no academic background, um, and I made it as a professional player. But there's that many players now, boys, girls, and other sports that they they're, they're sold that sort of dream, and it never ever happens. Mm. So for me, the education side is, is is so important and very important. So to when I got the opportunity to set up the company and have a bit of both. I thought that was a fantastic route, route to go down because you're, mm. you're not going to stop somebody from, from turning pro. Yeah. But the worst case scenario is they're going to go over to America, have a fantastic time and get a degree. Yeah, yeah, outstanding. And I mean, we, we, we again, we spoke about the, the, the need for education and sport and it's paramount. I had a friend who actually played for Rangers um, um, quite a few years ago and, and he gained similar route to yourself, left school, very little educational attainment and then ended up going on and having a, a bit of a disruptive career because of injuries. And then after his football career ended, got into coaching and went actually back and, and done his degrees and now does a, a, an education program as well in schools and delivers that in schools. So it just shows the importance of education as a fallback because the, the footballing career, and it, it's, I suppose it's different now because so many players are in such such big money and they don't need to. There's also yeah. a very, very small percentage of players who do that. and it's a, There's quite a lot of players below that high level that don't have that sort of support. Yeah, well, the, the problem is, I think if you're a young player, you join an academy. Mm. Um, so from 16 to 18, you're maybe at an academy of Rangers, Chelsea, whatever. So you're the problem is you're out of education for two years from 16 to 18. So yeah. that affects your opportunity of going to America. So I'm trying to get the, the, the word across to younger players, 14, 15, and 16. They stick in at school, uh, uh, even at college, go to college and mm. university as early as you possibly can, but continue your football as well. And if you can do that in the UK and it doesn't work out, then it's easier to transfer over to America. Mm. It's just trying to keep as many routes open for yourself as possible That's and possible. give yourself as many opportunities. Mm. And let's be honest, it could be worse things to do than go to do, go to college in America and, and, <laughs> and, and sort of experience life in that environment. That must have been that must be fantastic. I mean, again, it wasn't ever given an opportunity for me, but it, I mean, imagine that opportunity because they take their sports very, very seriously. And, and you know, again, the college ball type of thing. Yeah, you know, I'm sure. A top level with the college in America. You, you, the stadiums are unbelievable. The facilities mm. are second to none. You're treated like a full-time pro. So it's, it's very, very high standard. Um, and it's something that, you know, if you get the opportunity to do it, then certainly have a look at it. Well, Dave, I really appreciate you. We all appreciate you giving up your time. Some fantastic stories. Really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm sure, I'm sure the guys will appreciate getting their questions into you. Just before we go, what are, what are we thinking on the, the next managerial appointment? Have we got any thoughts? Van Bronckhorst is a front runner, but where do you, where do you think we could go with this one? Yeah, I I've personally would have liked to have seen Lampard. I think mm. Lampard would come up and do a good job, but if it's Van Bronckhorst, then I think he's going to bring bring a different element to it again, the, the sort of Dutch style of football. Yeah. Um, but either manager, I still think they probably need to bring their own players in. I think there'll be players leaving, um, so there's going to be that transition period again, which maybe, you know, it's not what the, the club need at the moment. 
Yeah. There's a lot riding on this season as well, automatic entry into the Champions League. So that whatever appointment that the board make, they need to make the right one because it's a it's a big risk if they get it wrong. Absolutely. And, you know, I think Stevie G left it at the right time. They're top of the league. Um, you know, he's left them in a good place, mm. albeit it's not, not, not the best timing. But yes. if, if you think positively about it, they are top of the league. And, mm. you know, it's down to the players to respond. You know, it's still the same team as last year. They're good enough to beat Celtic. There's no doubt about that, but they need to perform more consistently. Yeah. Well, Dave, again, thank you very much, sir. We really appreciate it. And from You're all welcome. the battle fever, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks so Cheers, much for Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. When I was a young boy, my father said to me, put this scarf around your neck and sing the blues with me. Now I am much older There's a place I want to be It's red faucet is beautiful It's steeped in history And I know what I'll find When the place comes alive I got that battle fever Coming over me And I got Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.